0: Hey, Dave Hagan here. What's all this about saving for retirement? What's the difference between an IRA and a 401k plan? This all seems a bit exotic and complicated. Let's talk about retirement savings in general and look at the various types of plans that might be available to you. The goal today is to make it as simple and understandable as possible. That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagen.
0: Hey, thanks, Nick. Several episodes ago on the Getting Started episode, I laid out my five steps to financial security. For those of you that didn't hear or that were not around, those steps are one, get rid of the cards, two, know your flow. Three, eliminate debt immediately. Four, create an emergency fund. And five, 15% to savings. Today, we're going to talk about step number five, 15% to savings. Can you believe it? We're already to the fifth step. Well, first of all, again, congratulations. If you've made it this far, chances are you've already completed the first four steps. This means that you have a very clear idea of what you're spending have torn up your credit cards and eliminated your debt. You've also created an emergency fund. Now it's time to create a fund to take care of you at some point in the future. Now, why put money into savings? Well, the first thing that might come to mind is to provide for you in the event you become disabled. However, there are disability policies, both public and private, that can be used to cover this risk. The second thing that might come to mind is to provide for your kids when you're gone, To me, this is a terrible idea. My thinking is that kids get an upbringing and an education through high school, maybe more. This, together with a small grub stake, maybe, should be enough to get them going. My parents have a bumper sticker on their car that says, we're spending our kids' inheritance. And you know what? Good for them. No, the reason to save is to provide some security for you when you retire, The Social Security Administration estimates that Social Security is only used for about 38% of all retired persons' income. How do we make up the other 62%? The answer is either savings or working till you drop. Most people don't want to work until they drop, so how do you put together some kind of savings? As a side thought, what do you visualize your retirement to be? It used to be that retirement was when you were used up physically and mentally to such an extent that you couldn't work any longer. With people living longer and being more physically able later in life, people's vision of what retirement might be is evolving. Perhaps now an appropriate vision of retirement would be to work in a different field or work less. Perhaps the two-thirds of retirement income that's not covered by Social Security will be partially covered from retirement savings and partially covered by part-time employment. Something interesting to think about. How do you save for retirement? Well, it's not that complicated, really. You put some money in the bank, let it grow, and live on the interest or small distributions of principal when you retire. However, there are far better and more sophisticated ways to do this. The better way to save for retirement is through the use of various retirement plans. Now, this topic is way too complicated to cover in a podcast. You really need an advisor. Don't rely upon me for any specific retirement planning advice. Rather, I'm simply going to cover a few of the basics. I'm going to look at the broad strokes here. Starting with broad strokes will give everyone a good understanding of the various devices that are available. Uh, Further, when you're ready for specific advice on things such as contribution and withdrawal limits, you should talk to your accountant. Any money that you pay an accountant for advice on an hourly basis will come back to you many times over. Further, you can also get advice from brokerage houses such as Schwab, Vanguard, E-Trade. These are just a few names of the big places that I can think of off the top of my head. They'll help you set up these accounts because that's their business. Usually, this advice is free because they want you to set up an account with their firm. Obviously, temper whatever they say against any advice that you get from your accountant. What are the various types of plans? Well, generally, this depends upon whether you're an employee or self-employed. If you're an employee, the best thing to first do is to see whether your employer has a 401k or 403b retirement plan. 403b plans are for nonprofit organizations. Money that goes into these accounts are tax-free dollars. That is, you don't pay income tax on these monies when it goes into the accounts, Most of the time, your employer will also match the amount up to certain limits. This means that you're getting free money in your retirement account. Now, you do pay taxes when the money is withdrawn in the future. However, the thought is that you're retired then and will have less income, so the tax burden might be less. Usually, the money in the plan is invested by an investment professional. If your employer has such a plan, this is the best way, usually, for an employee to set up retirement savings. The next retirement plan to look at as an employee is an IRA. Money that goes into an IRA is, again, before tax money. The increase in value during the life of the plan is also tax-free. However, when the money comes out, it's, of course, taxable. Now, there are yearly limits as to how much can be put in and requirements as to when the money needs to be taken out. If the money's taken out early, there's a 10% penalty and it's also considered taxable income on your tax return that year. You control the money in the account, hopefully with the help of an investment advisor. The next type of plan to consider if you're an employee is a Roth IRA. The money that's put in a Roth IRA is after-tax money. That is, you have already paid income tax on this money. However, when the money comes out in the future, there's no income tax due. You can take the money out at any time without paying a penalty. But hopefully you never want to. You control the money in this account, again, hopefully with the help of an investment advisor. Finally, the last thing that you can do is just simply put the money in the bank. This isn't the end of the world. and In fact, it's probably a good thing. However, the money going in is after-tax money and any gains or income will be subject to tax. If you're self-employed, you have a slightly different slate of available plans, including a small plan 401k, Individual 401k, SEP IRA, and Simple IRA. These are all similar in concept to the plans that we've talked about already. However, they were designed to be used by individuals that don't have employment income. With these types of plans, it's essentially critical, especially critical, that you work with your accountant and advisor from a major brokerage house. Now, what about the last choice I mentioned of simply putting money in the bank? Wouldn't do it the interest rate is too low. Of course, your money is secured by the FDIC up to certain limits. But in my opinion, the better idea is to put the money with a brokerage account and invest in a small handful of mutual funds. Mutual funds are pots of money that are managed by professionals. Yes, in many cases, you may pay an annual management fee. However, the thought is that any management fee that you pay is worth it because you're getting a much better rate of return very rarely would I invest in individual stock issues. It seems to me that it would, you would never want to invest your retirement money with exotic investment devices, such as buying things on margins. Don't let someone else trade on your account. You need to take the time to protect your own money. You can get advice on which mutual funds to buy by talking with your broker, trusted friends, or your accountant. Very rarely, if Ever would I invest based upon a stock tip from someone that you met at a party? Rather, model your portfolio after someone who you admire or has done well in the market over a number of years. Someone like Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, comes to mind. Chances are, if your portfolio is roughly approximate to his in terms of what it holds, you'll do okay. Now, when you retire, if you can live on the interest, you're golden. However, most experts also recommend that you could withdraw about 4% of the principal in your plan each year and still not run out of money during retirement. Well, simply put, those are some of the things to think about with respect to saving and more specifically saving for retirement. There are lots of issues that we haven't discussed such as risk and inflation. However, it's a good basic beginning and overview in this area. Probably we'll talk about some of these other issues in future podcasts. To sum up, Social Security only provides for 38% of most people's retirement income. The trick is to come up with a plan to provide for the other 62%. This might be by working, or even better, relying upon the income or the principal in your retirement savings. There's a different list of retirement devices for employees and for people that are self-employed. The important thing is to get going on this as quickly as possible and continue to do it in some consistent manner so that when you retire you won't have to work if you choose not to something to think about this is David Hagan and you're listening to the financial wellness podcast
1: you've been listening to the financial wellness podcast Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success if you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions Email them to dave at davidrhagan.com. If you like the podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button in your app. You will automatically get a reminder each time Dave uploads a new episode. Or you can use the app to share this episode with your friends and family. Let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. All right, time for some emails.
0: Nick, what do you got?
1: Hey, Dave. So the first one comes from Steve. It says, Hey Dave, my name is Steve and I just graduated from college from Rutgers University with a business degree. I fortunately graduated with zero debt and I currently have a job offer for $40,000 for a business I never heard of. It would be a sales position, but I've never heard of this place. On the other hand, I have a chance to get into the MBA program at UCLA since my GPA was around a 3.5. If I pursue the MBA program, I will have to go into debt around $100,000 And I'm not sure of what to do. Would you recommend pursuing the post-bachelor degree or would you recommend going straight into the job force? Any information you could provide will be helpful. Thanks, Steve from New Jersey.
0: Wow. Let's break that down just a little bit. A new job with a company that you don't know that is sales or going back and getting an MBA. Yep. And not only getting an MBA, but incurring a mountain of debt.
1: $100,000?
0: I don't know. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I don't know. Um, I think when you're younger, you can afford to take some chances that you may not when you're a little later along in life, when you've got a spouse, when you've got kids. Um, The good thing about a sales position is that you could make a whole bunch of money. A lot of businesses highly compensate their sales staff because that's the lifeblood of the business. On the other hand, if it's not a good product, you're going to starve. So um, that's kind of a double-edged sword there. But I, I kind of like the the uptake of, of being in sales and being able to get that um, nice paycheck early on in your career. Mm, the MBA, you can't beat an MBA, but $100,000 for an MBA and what, a year and a half, two years down the line? Um, I don't know. I don't know. If it were me, I think I'd go with the sales job with the unknown company, and if it doesn't work out, then you can always jump back and and go back to the uh, go back to the MBA. But uh, not the NBA, the MBA, yeah, right. the MBA, <laughs>
1: the masters. Yeah. Not, not the basketball. <laughs> if you if
0: you could go to the NBA, I'd do that first. <laughs> that would that's where the money would be. Uh, but uh, the MBA, I, I would put that on a second track. I would put that on a second track. Now, some would argue that the MBA is better for you, you know, in the middle term and the long term, but. Um, I don't know. I, I a lot of people like to work a year or two between undergrad and, and graduate school. And this would be a good opportunity. I suppose the real test would be, what if you get this job and you're making a big pile of cash and you're enjoying it? How do you pass that up to go back to the MBA?
1: And that actually raised an interesting point. I, I, was, uh, I have a buddy of mine right now who uh, is in that position. And he said that, He wanted to work for about two to three years and actually uh, business programs are looking for that experience before they admit. And so I think that's something to take into consideration.
0: Well, I think that uh, an MBA program is an awful lot more relevant, frankly, a lot more meaningful if you've worked for a couple of years. If you've actually seen how it hits the fan, you're going to appreciate the structure of the MBA even more. But boy, it'd be nice if you could make a bunch of coin for a couple of years, two, three years, and then have enough money to pay for the MBA. Maybe that's the way to go.
1: Or maybe work for a couple of years and then find an employer who will help you uh, finance that as well.
0: Well, a lot of employers will do that too. It's it's surprising to me how many employers will do that, especially MBA programs. Exactly. It's not cheap stuff, but uh, that's a possibility. That's a possibility. But... uh, I don't know. I think I'd, I'd go for the quick cash and put it in my pocket and see where that, uh, see where that takes me.
1: Cool. Uh, right. Should we do another one?
0: Let's do another one.
1: All right, Dave. This is from Susan. It says, I recently met a wonderful guy. We have been dating for about six months. I think he's getting ready to pop the question. Unfortunately, I haven't told him about my $15,000 in credit card debt, and in addition to $25,000 in student loans. When do you think would be a good time to tell him? Or should or should I tell him, We're both going to work after we get married. My my boyfriend makes around a hundred thousand dollars a year at Google. I will make about half of that working for an, an insurance agency. Please advise Susan.
0: Well, Susan, when should you tell him about three months ago? That's when I would have told him. I think you gotta lay these kind of things out on the table. And um yeah, I, I suppose when the two of you are married and you're bringing in $150,000, this debt won't seem that significant. I mean, the student loan and the, the other debt together is about $40,000. So $40,000 in debt up, a, up against a combined income of $150,000, not that much debt. But uh, I think that uh, not disclosing it could be very detrimental to the relationship. He's going to feel like he's paying your debt even though that won't exactly be the case. And um, I think that makes that very tough. You know, they, they they say that the toughest year marriage is the first year and, and looking back, um, I believe that we had some wonderful times when I first got married in that first year. But there was awful lot of adjustment that was going on too. And I, I think that throwing debt into the picture, especially at a time when you're you're just starting to figure out who's going to pay what or how you're going to deal with money, separate money issues, joint money issues, it's going to create a lot of problems. Now. That being said, if you talk to him about it and let him know, first of all, it's full disclosure, so it's on the table. I guess that the term that everyone's using these days is transparency, full transparency. Yep. But I think that one of the first things that the the two of you can do is, is put in your plan to retire that debt, and I think if it's a joint effort, that gives you something to work for, and I think that that gives you some strength in terms of putting together the financial portion of your life, so... I'd I'd tell him. I'd tell him right away. That being said, I'm kind of wondering about some of the causes of this debt. Twenty-five thousand dollars in student loans, kind of obvious, but if there's fifteen thousand in other kinds of debt, I think that something you should think about is why is this occurring? What is happening? You're probably chronic negative cash flow. And you need to do something to prevent that from happening, so that it again doesn't become an impediment or an issue in the marriage. So you really need to go through some of the five steps that I've talked about on on previous webcasts, and um, take a look at your flow. Get rid of those credit cards. Live on cash. Do some of the things that uh, the two of you can do to save some money, and then make a point to just pound that debt down, just retire it as quickly as possible once you get married, so that the two of you can sit down and then. Uh, turn a corner and, and put in place a plan that'll let you really uh, start to move forward in a very positive, positive way. But that that's what I would do. All right, that's all the time that we have for today. A couple of things coming up for the listeners. Um, first of all, we're going to be putting on a series of um, debates or discussions, if you will, talking about the positive and minus- aspects of credit cards. Mr. Brian Reed's going to be coming in and we're going to be talking about things like celebrity sponsorship and advertising and um, membership fees and um, mileage accounts and, and those kinds of things. It's going to be a kind of a back and forth. I think you'll find it interesting. Secondly, we're also going to be doing periodically what I'm going to call our entrepreneur series. We're going to have somebody come in and we're going to discuss with them how they made their success. Kind of tell us how they got to where they are. I think that that will be very interesting to folks and uh, also provide some some nice tips as we go along. Also, we're going to be doing a group discussion with people that have debt with debt, whether it's through bankruptcy or some other matter. So we're going to talk with them about how they, how they got trapped into debt, how they dealt with it. Um, how they were able to move forward and what their experiences were—kind of a group discussion with three or four people. So these are some of the things that are that are coming up. Keep listening. If you uh, want us to talk about any particular topic or you're interested in any particular format, send us an email to Dave at davidrhagan.com. But for today, this is Dave Hagen, and you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast.
1: You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions, email them to dave at davidrhagan.com. Until next week, this is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.